We're turning to the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, chapter 26. I'll have you out in good time this morning. I said last week that Jimmy Armstrong told me one time when you get a new message uh, and you're not so sure of it, preach it to a small crowd and try it out. Uh, Well, I have another new message this morning and the crowd's not that big here anyway. Whether others will listen to it or not, I don't know. And I'm going to try it out this morning, but I feel it's the word of the Lord uh, for this morning. And uh, I'm not going on from what I thought I was doing last Sunday. There's something fresh came to my soul during the week. And if it comes fresh to me, I want it to come fresh to you uh, as well. So if you open your Bible at chapter 26 in our text, uh, it's found in the 13th verse of this 26th chapter of Isaiah. The first part of the 13th verse, uh, it's the honest, heart-searching confession of the prophet Isaiah as he intercedes before the Lord. Here's what he says. And wherever you get the O as a heart-rending cry, O Lord our God, Other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. And I just want to stop there because maybe later on we'll develop the rest part of the rest of the text, but this uh, phrase is in my heart. I want you to note that uh, the prophet's not only referring to the people, to the nation, to Israel, and as we say to the church, but he's including himself. And if you look at the text and the verse again, O Lord our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. Uh, I think this is a very honest prayer. He says, I, and he's including himself when he says to us, I have allowed other lords to rule over me. And I was thinking, my friend, on this statement on confession of the prophet, including himself, that it's a pathway to revival. And it's the pathway to blessing when a leader when the oversights and the leaders of a fellowship and of an assembly and a minister of a church confesses his wrongdoing and confesses his need and be honest and humble before the Lord and truthful before the Lord regarding himself because you can't expect the people to follow on if that's not the case. And that is the case here. He says, I have allowed other lords besides thee to rule over us. Now, he's referring here to times when God's people were in subjection and dominion and under the sway and control of oppressors. 
And uh, some of the scholars uh, reckon that it was during the cycle of the judges, perhaps, he was speaking about. And other times in Isaiah's own history, when they were lauded and lorded over by the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the Philistines and the Canaanites. The key word in this text, and we always need to get the key word in this text, the key word in the text is the word besides. Other lords besides thee have had dominion over us. Now that's a contradiction in terms when you come to dealing with the Lord God Jehovah. It is an enigma. Let me say this morning you can have two houses. You can have two cars, you can have two jobs, you can have two wives, but you can't have two gods. I don't know whether it was, I can't remember whether it was Alan Redpath or Stephen Alford uh, counseled a Muslim fellow for salvation and he wanted to ask the Lord to save him and he did and he asked the Lord to save him and he got up and in the choir room of his knees, and he said to some of these men, I can't remember which, I have Allah and I have Jehovah. And whoever it was said, no, you have not. And if I would have been there, I would say, you have Allah. If you know the history of the children of Israel, never once did the majority of the people ever give up fully the worship of Jehovah. They fed into a dual lordship. They kept the form of worship. They, they kept the altars, the sacrifices, the feasts, the holy days. They recited the Torah, they sang the hallelujah psalms, they Praise God for the redemption from the water from the rock and the manna from heaven and the quails from the sea and the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And they had a form of godliness. They never really relinquished altogether their commandments and their teachings of Jehovah. Paul says they had, a, speaking in the same context, they had a form of godliness. The Lord Jesus said the same thing. He said, they drew near with their lips, but the hearts were far from me. And here's a wee verse I come across in Job the other day. He, Job said to the miserable comforters, your remembrances of me are like unto ashes. They're of no value remembering me when all this is going on. You see, there was plenty of activity, legality, and formality. But they had broken the first commandment. Thou shalt have none other gods beside me, before me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. God doesn't play second fiddle. We can't run with the fox and hunt with the hounds. We can't sup with the Lord on Sunday and with the devil on Monday. We can't bow at Jehovah's altar one day and Baal's altar another day, and that's what they were doing. 
We can't say that we love him with all our heart and all our soul and have other lovers beside. You won't do it with your wife. I hope. And you won't do it with your husband. And you wouldn't do it with your girlfriend. You wouldn't say, I'll stay with you tonight and I'll stay with my other lover tomorrow night. That's adultery. And of course, James talks about spiritual adultery. Know not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And my friend, the more we go on in these days in Christendom, this is what we see. We see a dual lordship, which cannot be. Then it may not be altars of sacrifices. They may not be the idols. It may not be the oppression and the suppression of an outward enemy. It can be a host of other things. Is this not the scene in the picture in Christendom and indeed evangelical circles today as a whole? I think that in the church of Ephesus, there and John summed it up well, or Jesus summed it up well. He says, you've left your first love. The first love is gone. I had two fairly amazing incidents, and I don't usually talk about this. I don't think I ever mentioned it before. Uh, as a young policeman, uh, I was thinking about it the other day. They came to my mind when I was looking at this message. A young CID man in, in Lurgan, about 72, and we got a report that a child has gone missing in one of the new housing estates in Craigavon where there was a lot of policemen living and it happened to be a policeman's child. And so I remember going out to the distraught mother. She'd lost the child. And I can tell you for a half an hour or three quarters of an hour there were panic stations. But you know, that was an accident. It wasn't deliberate. She could do nothing about that. And we lose things, and things happen like this. There's no culpability on us for that. It happens to us. We lose every day. I lose things. But then a, a couple of years later, in Ballymena, I got a call one day to come down to the main desk. And they came down to the main desk and there was a boy walking out to the door and he sat a lovely wee baby about two or three months old in a cot. He sat it up on the counter and walked out. Left the wee one. Now, there's a difference in losing something and leaving something. The boy that left that child there on that counter of the police station in Ballymena in 1975, let me tell you that that man was culpable. He was chargeable. He had committed an offense. He left 
And we, we, we are like that. We haven't lost our first love, but so many of us leave our first love and we're culpable. We're responsible. We're responsible to God for letting other lovers come in. I'm sure that man, whenever he, that child was born, he may have been there and probably rejoiced with his wife and rejoiced with the rest of the family. But you see, the, the, the glamour and the joy was all gone. Is that the way with us this morning? And again, I say, oh, this is a July morning and there's a lot of people in holidays and don't be hard. I'm not. I'm just asking you this morning. Have we left our first love? The zeal gone, the love gone, the passion gone, the joy of being alone with God gone, the honeymoon period is over. Well, don't beat yourself up too bad this morning. Because if we're all honest and if we're all truthful, we all know at times other lords have come in. It happens in our spiritual life. It happens in married life. It happens in our family life. We go cold. The zeal and the passion and the love dwindles. And that blaze of love that we had in the early days <laughs> diminishes. Now we're talking from fact this morning. We're talking about experiences this morning. And that blaze of love for the Lord and for the gospel diminishes. Whenever we got saved in 1970, there was a fire in both our souls. Let me tell you, for meetings and for missions, we drove to Acre to a meeting one day in a car that I told you before that I took from my brother that he didn't know, and we wanted to get into meetings. We wanted to hear the gospel. And that went on for quite a while. But you know, from 72 to 79 were my barn years. Seven barren years, seven years, I was in the wilderness. I was praying very little. I would have made any excuse I could get to stay away from church. Plenty of work to do. And I just got cold and other lords started to come in. And boy, I'll tell you, when they start to come in, and the attraction for the prayer meeting and the attraction for the gospel and the attraction to be with other Christians and to have fellowship with other Christians started to dwindle until God pulled the reins in 79. And if he wouldn't have, I don't know what would have happened. Oh, the lords besides thee have had the dominion over us. And my friend, once that happens and once we allow that in and once we get taken away from the first love, it's a downward road. Listen to what the prophecy of Micah says. Ask this question, will he be pleased with 10,000 rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? And the answer is no. Thou shalt sow and not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but there will be no oil. There will be no wine to comfort you. 
and all this other activity and all these other things cannot take the place for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords must have the rightful place. He's either in or he's not. He's there or he's not. Any any believer this morning that knows anything about the movements of the early church or or revival blessing down to the years will know something is wrong. When we read the Scriptures and when we look at the fellowships around us and our own fellowship too, we have to conclude at times there's something wrong. This is not really what it should be like. This is not what the early church was like. This is not what the first, second, third century church, this is not what the church was like even in the 18th century when God was moving in revival amongst his people. There's something wrong. And if we don't realize that, if if we don't in our own soul and in our heart don't realize, my friend, that there's something wrong, And if you say it's not with you, then there's something wrong with somebody else and something wrong in the fellowship. We can get all the excuses we like. There's something wrong. The test is this. If you conclude like that this morning, the test is this. Are you satisfied in the formality? Are we satisfied with the legality and the repetitory I was speaking to a man about a couple of weeks ago. I visited him. And he was talking about his church fellowship. Didn't actually, I'm not saying where, but it was in Dungannon. And he said one Sunday night, a man got up in in, in the church and he said, we come here every Sunday night at the same time. We go home at the same time. The same people come and we sing the same songs. There's a bold boy that. And you know, we were doing that here if it would not have been for our brother Day and he not made me sin. We were doing this here for years on Sunday night. We're coming with a handful this time of year. Singing the same songs and the same people. Trying to keep the thing together. Until our brother had the vision for the park. You see, if we don't see there's something wrong, if we don't realize it, my friend, if we're content the way we are, there's something terribly wrong. There has to be a hunger and a thirst in our souls for the living God that was never meant to be like this. My friend, if the gospel is anything, if the risen, exalted Christ is anything, if salvation is anything, it's joy, it's praise. Does it not concern us that we have little or no conviction, we, we see little or no conviction of sin or repentance? Does it not concern us that for a couple of years this tank has never been opened? Does it not concern us that we can have supper evenings and sing-song evenings and church outings and there's nothing wrong with having them but you come to the prayer meeting? 
and the Cinderella meeting. You see, there has to be something wrong if the desire and the, and, and the joy of other lords are there, but the Lord God Almighty is not. There's something wrong. And where is he? Well, he's outside the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He'll not come in when other lovers are there. Would you expect him? You and me, we're the bride. We're, we're bought with a price, with his own precious blood. We're, we're the darling of his bosom. We're the apple of his eye. I sought him and I, I sought you and I found you and I held you and I brought you into my banqueting house and your banner over me is love. I'm not playing second fiddle to anyone. Other lords, other lords, oh, what are these other lords? What are these other lords that take, take control of us and possess us until a, until a degree and we just leave a little place for the Lord, but it doesn't work? It's completely and utterly contrary to the whole message of the cross and the gospel. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's job. For me, it was a job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's sport. Maybe it's a hobby. Girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband, children, soaps on the television. I don't know what it might be. But he's outside the door if those are inside. And I'll tell you and I'm a man of 73 years of age and I'm 49 years saved. Let me tell you this, when these other lords get in, get entrenched, it's not easy to shift them. When the quiet time stops and the family altar stops and the midweek meeting stops and the Sunday evening stops and the witnessing stops, it's not easy to change it. Now, thank God the Word of God tells us who these other lords are. And we haven't time to develop them this morning. But we are told by the Apostle John and Paul and others that our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And let me tell you that there are three formidable foes. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Other lords. Besides him. The world is the external foe. It's all around us this morning. 
Turn on your television or put on your news, you read your paper, you'll hear the world of sport and the world of business and the world of finance, the world of pleasure, the world of politics, and on you'll go. And there's nothing wrong with them. But when they start to lord and rule and dominate our thinking and our life and our way, then there's plenty wrong with them. John the Apostle says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not in him. It's not there. He's not saying to us that we're not told in those scriptures, and there's a couple of we're not told in the scriptures not to love the world of nature. No, we can't stand in awe at the birds and the bees and the trees and admire them. Nor he's not telling us to, not, to love not the world of people. God so loved the world. May God help us that we will never lose a love for souls. But he's talking about the present evil world. Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world. The world systems, the ungodly people of the world that hated him without a cause. Friendship with the world, my friend, and and, uh, his enmity with God. Always remember it was the wicked world that delivered up the Savior and crucified him and slew, slew him. And praise God, I was thinking when I was thinking of that and penning that, I think, praise God, the cross, for the cross, for he delivered us. We're delivered this morning from this present evil world. Billy Sunday says you might as well speak about a godly demon as a worldly Christian. There's no such thing as a worldly Christian. Sadly, in Northern Ireland, some of the Christians think that worldliness is an earring. A bit of lipstick. Or hair dyed. Or no tie or no hat. My friend, you can have all those things, every one of them. And your heart not right with God. Not a bit sign of spirituality. The world is external. It's a foe. It is an enemy. There's far more to it than all that. And I'm not saying anything about those things. There's far more than all that. There's far more in how you look or how you dress. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Like the deep sea diver, he's in the sea, but the sea's not in him. The external foe, enemy number one. Lord number one, when the world gets into our life and into our heart and into our home, and we love the things of the world more than the love of God, than we love God, Then there's time to pull the reins. 
Secondly, the flesh is the internal foe. And we all know something about that. The things that we do, Paul says, we don't do. And the things that we don't do, that we do. We don't want to do, we do. And there's a struggle and there's a battle in the old flesh. We have to keep the loss of the flesh in subjection and dominion. Or oh, they'll rule, they'll reign, they'll dictate, they'll dictate where we go, they'll dict- the flesh will dictate what we do and what we wear and all the rest. Paul says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? The world conforms us, the flesh condemns us, the devil controls us. And Lehman Strauss put it like this, the ways of the world, the weakness of the flesh, and the wiles of the devil. Those are our enemies. Because the world is external and the flesh is internal and the devil is infernal. The devil has one desire and one longing and he uses the world and he uses the flesh and he brings them all together to destroy us. The God of this world. This is a battle, my friend, we're in. Our sister, one of our sisters prayed in the prayer meeting this morning, Lord, let us not give up on the fight. Amen. The God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, there's a fight on, there's a battle on. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have fought it. A good fight, and a good fight's a winning fight. A good fight's a victorious fight. He says, I have fought. People will go anywhere to see a fighting match. They're fighting everywhere. There's fighting going on in all departments of the world this morning. But you know what a man, I heard a man say the other day, an American man on the tape the other day, you know what he said? He said, you never read of the demons and the devils and the emissaries fighting with one another. But he says, you do the church. There's a battle on. We sing that hymn sometimes, since I must fight, if I must reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. A good fight is a winning fight. A good fight is a victorious fight. A good fight is a crowning fight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not for me only, but to all them that love his appearing. There's a fight on. There's a battle on. My friend, the battle's on. It's well and truly on. And if you think that you get saved and that's it and you're on your way to heaven and that's all about it, you have the wrong perception altogether of the Christian life. It's a fight. It's a battle for me. You get up on the bed in the morning till you go to bed at night. And just as the angel jumped on Jacob that night in Jabbok, the devil jumps on us and the battle and the fight begins. And the wrestle goes on, my friend, for the loss and all that's along with it. But I tell you this, we are not defeated. I tell you this, we are more than conquerors. 
Through him that loved us, we have no need to go down. We have no need to go out. We can live in victory over the world, over the flesh, over the devil. We'll never be without sin, but we can live in victory. Other than that, the cross was useless. Christ didn't die and suffer and bleed there to give us victory, to deliver us. He, we have our bit to do. You know, I was thinking about Jacob's wells, and I'm, well, and I'm coming to a close. And it says that Isaac and his men, there, were, there, was a, there was a famine for water in the land. And the, and the people were going to die, and there was, they come across the old wells of Jacob that he had dig years and years before. There was a whole number of those wells. And they were, but they were filled in. The Philistines had filled them in with dirt and with rubbish and with filth. But the way down underneath and the way down in the very bottom was lovely, fresh spring water. But they had to fight to get to that water. They had to dig and dig and dig. In the heat of the sun, they had to claw out all the old rubbish to get right down to it. It was the same with the water pots. He says, fill up the water pots. You have your bit to do. And then I'll bless. And my we have our bit to do, my friend. If I just look at the verse before we close, I'm going to close now in a minute. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 12. O Lord, our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. But by, the, by thee only will we make mention of thy name. You see the prayer of the prophet and the power of the prophet. Do you see the power of the prophet? The power of the prophet is in the name. We will make mention, that's his prayer. And there's the power of the prophet in the name. Acts chapter 3, you remember the lame man at the gate of the temple? And Peter and John said to him, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And up he got... And he jumped and he leaped and he praised the Lord in the name. It was in the name. And not only, my friend, is there prayer, not only is there power, power in the name, there's power to defeat and there's power to deliver because if you go into verse 13, you'll see what he says, they are dead, they are dead. They shall, they shall not live, they are deceased, they shall not rise, therefore... Hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory in the I tell you, the devil's destroyed this morning. And the powers of hell are destroyed this morning. And all these demonic powers, my, I tell you, the battle with us and the fight with us and the world, as long as we're here, the world, the flesh and the devil, but we can live above it. That word more than conquerors means super conquerors. Super conquerors. And we have no night to live an old down and defeated life where we sit in the corner rubbing our nails and sitting in the corner moping about the state of the church and the state of people and other people. We have no right or need to be like that, my friend. And I refuse to end up like that. We have the promises of God. We have all that God has given to us. And I'll tell you above all as I close this morning, we have an armory. We have the weapons. For we have weapons against this warfare. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
We have the whole armor of God. We have the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and the shoes of peace. We have all. Get Ephesians 6. Put the armor on and go out and fight tomorrow. Stand against the wiles of the devil and haven't done all to stand. Because there's victory in Jesus and there's power in the blood. And he has conquered and destroyed the power of hell at Calvary. And he has delivered us from such an awful death. And I refuse to let other lords in. And you do the same. Give him the first place. Give him the rightful place. Give him the supreme place. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. All the lords, Isaiah said, we have besides thee. Doesn't work. May God bless this word to our hearts this morning. Let us pray. We're not going to sing again. We're just going to wait a wee minute on the Lord. Take courage this morning now that we have victory and power. And if we had a bad week last week, we can have a better one this week. If we feel that we're slipping and sliding, then pull the reins. And once he gets a supreme place in your life and in our hearts, then he'll bless. Then he'll move. Then he'll save. Then he'll deliver. Then he'll answer our prayers. Once we open the door and let him in. Lord, bless thy word. Says thy word that we're sure of, Lord. It is the word of God. And Father, just speak on, Lord, to our hearts. Thank you for speaking to me through this word, and I pray that you'll speak to others, and not only here, but the wider audience that one day, someday, will listen to. And Lord, we will give you the glory and the praise and the honor because thou art a jealous God. You want complete control of what you purchased at such an awful price. And how can I but give him my all. How can I but surrender and say, Lord, forgive me for committing spiritual adultery. Forgive me for allowing other gods to fill the place and thou gently has withdrawn. But yet you're standing at the door knocking, wanting to come in again. 
than your tender mercies and sureless love. Thou wilt forgive and cleanse and touch us afresh. Oh God, just bless thy word. Amen.